Hello, I'm Jason Solomons. Welcome to the latest episode of Seen Any Good Films Lately, the podcast guiding you through this awards season 2022 and along the way, giving you the finest film recommendations, past and present, classic and obscure. Another one is Our Daily Bread. It's about big agriculture. When I'm sad, I sing Jolly Holiday and it makes me cry. This week, I'm concentrating on the documentaries with two very strong contenders already featuring on the BAFTA and Oscar long lists. My guests are Andrea Arnold, the British filmmaker making her very first doc called Cow, about the life of a dairy cow called Luma. And from America, Jessica Kingdon, whose film Ascension, about the economic boom and social upheaval of the Chinese dream, has climbed into prime position in the Oscar stakes. We'll hear from them, and I'll tell you if I've seen any good films lately. I did mention a few shows ago that I needed to catch up with the film Drive My Car, the Japanese drama that's winning all the critics' awards and is one of the favourites for the Oscars and the BAFTAs in the category formerly known as the foreign language film. So, I've done that. And I can confirm, rather belatedly, that it's a lovely, if lengthy, work of cinema. Whatever awards it wins, it can surely claim the title of the longest pre-credit sequence in history. It's 40 minutes before the opening titles kick in. Based on a Murakami short story from his Men Without Women collection, it expands to a three-hour film about love and performance, with a lot of Uncle Vanya and a bit of waiting for Godot along the way. And it is really gorgeous. It's the story of an actor and his beloved red Saab 900 Turbo who's reeling from the infidelities of his screenwriter wife and then who takes a job directing a multilingual version of Vanya with a pan-Asian cast for the Hiroshima Theatre Company. However, once he's there in Hiroshima for the casting and the rehearsals, he's obliged to have a chauffeur to drive his car. And in the company of this inscrutable younger woman driver, he's forced to reflect on his own life changes. I just love the idea of it and the look of it. It's modernity, I love the music, the locations and architecture, and the window onto Japanese artistic life. The performances are great, and there's a distinctly unhurried aspect to the direction by Ryosuke Hamaguchi. It's a contemplative film, warm, funny, subtly innovative, It's charming, really one of the finer films around, even if it is long and there is a bit too much Uncle Vanya in it. I'd see that Drive My Car is still playing in some cinemas, clearly the best place for it, honestly. But you can also find out the many ways to stream it at home by visiting modernfilms.com. festoon director Andrea Arnold still to come on the show plus more film recommends and a tribute to the late Sidney Poitier but for the moment let's stay in Asia for the documentary Ascension 
which I also admired for its fusion of modern images and music. It's the work of Chinese-American director Jessica Kingdon, and after nominations at the Indie Spirits and the Gothams, it's now on the 15 films on the Oscar shortlist before the nominations come out on February the 8th. And I reckon it's got a great chance of a nomination there, because Kingdon, through a series of tableau, looks at the Chinese dream, the economic and social transformation that capitalism has brought to this often inaccessible and inscrutable society. We see factory floors where they make nozzles or duck snacks or sex dolls. We watch etiquette lessons for waiters and businesswomen. We see textile fabrication and construction sites, water parks and glittering penthouses and the unimaginably wealthy. As the title suggests, the film Ascension moves up the ladder of society with no comment, amazing photography and beautiful music by Dan Deacon. So when I spoke to Ascension director Jessica Kingdon, I began by asking her how her rather unique documentary took shape. Was it always going to be about upward mobility? Only towards the very end did I realise that the structure of it would be class Ascension. Originally, the idea was more about studying this cycle of production, consumption and Mm -hmm. waste. And it was going to be more environmentally driven, looking at the kind of environmental consequences of global capitalism. As I started going and shooting, I realized that the more interesting thing became this quest for upward mobility and a study of materialism that happens in China, but also, of course, the rest of the world. Yeah. And ultimately, for me, the film really became more about how capitalism has become a central force of human motivation and trying to understand um, the meaning of work. Yeah, because I was wondering... Why China? I mean, could you do the same film in Europe? Could you do the same film in the US? I think for me, the thing about China is its accelerated timeline. Um, You know, since late 1970s, um, with China's economic reforms, the reform and opening movement, where the markets um, were open to the rest of the world with free trade, it accelerated the economy in such a quick time span um, that I think that when a society undergoes such a quick transformation, these universal truths become magnified. So I was looking at China as this global stage for universal questions related to the paradox of progress and asking questions like, what does economic progress mean? What does it look like? And like I was saying, it's, I think it was magnified because of its quick transition from what was once known as the world's factory to one of the largest consumer markets in the world. There's something very beautiful about it. Whatever we feel about capitalism, whatever we feel about progress, you have undeniably put an aesthetic on it. It has an aesthetic, it has a look, it has a feel. There's a sense of awe 
and, yeah. and wonder in it. Kind of what you were saying earlier on about how within the same image, there's many things that you can feel at once. I was approaching it with this sense of awe, a sense of wonder, a sense of mystery, but also there's a sense of darkness and bleakness at the same time. So for me, the film was really trying to hold two truths at once while we're while we're experiencing it. One thing one does know about China is that they're quite... Um secretive or or prescriptive or protocol led for example and i was looking at your some of your shots and i was thinking how the hell did she get permission to go in there whenever i've only been there twice but you know get meetings with people it was very strict and there were very many layers of things to do as a journalist i mean i don't know how you don't know how you how you managed to convince all of these factories to open up your camera they must have thought what the hell are you doing in there industrial espionage or something <laughs> Well, it's funny you say that because actually one of the factories did think that we were corporate spies right. trying to steal their technology secrets, which is not something I ever would have expected anyone to accuse me of since I wouldn't have the first idea how to do that. But um, yeah, to go back to your question, I think it's important to remember that the CCP, that the government, the Communist Party, they're different than the people on an individual level. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of this was appealing to people's individual sense of curiosity, of cross-cultural exchange. Um, and so we were, because we weren't doing a film that was overtly political or covering any quote unquote sensitive areas, we were just very transparent about being an independent film crew from America, making a film about China's economic rise. And people were either comfortable with letting us do it or not. And, Do you think um, they were proud? Them, they were proud that uh, America, the, the leader of capitalism, the the the, the country of rising, uh, was 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 looking at the you know the tiger economy, looking at the Chinese dream, and sort of saying, "Wow, look, look, we, there's stuff we can learn from." They, were they flattered and proud to show you their their progress. Definitely, a lot of it has to do with um, the, this pride and the progress, and even um, people who are in the film, like the boss of the, the principal of the um, the women's training manor school business etiquette yes um he heard about the film being shortlisted and he was posting it all over his wechat moments he was really you know excited about it so it's really the eye is meeting is in the eye of the beholder and how much is china leading the way i look at the box office figures and i see yeah, Chinese films. So they only just recently had a box office, you know. And in five years, they, they, you know, Chinese films are, are are the are the international global box office leaders. How how is this subject China relevant, as you say, to us in Europe, the UK, to to America? Are are we all headed that way? Are we all at at their behest? Is it the factory of the world, or is it also the leader of the world in terms of? uh the, the models that we're all going to follow in terms of the etiquette in terms of the the way things are going what's is it leading us somewhere that's that that surely is a relevant question for anyone who might want to see your film why should i see a film about china um i mean culturally i don't i don't know if it's going to to lead us i think that um soft power obviously is different from different types of power i think that um i i feel like culturally China is still its own thing and is not necessarily going to have the kind of influence that it wants to. But um, in terms of innovation, maybe China will be the the place that is able to solve some of the problems that it's creating. Mm. China is one of the largest um, offenders of emission, carbon emissions and pollution. 
but if anyone if any nation can can solve that perhaps it is china what was the best meal you had out there oh my god that's a great question i was remembering this recently actually we filmed in a Taobao village, which is um, a village that makes a significant portion of its income from from selling their from from manufacturing a product that they sell on Taobao on e-commerce websites. Um, and so, this one Taobao village we visited, it didn't make it into the film, but um, they manufactured furniture. And as a byproduct of all of this extra furniture that they had with the extra wood, they used it um, to power like wood oven stoves. And so that created this local cuisine of food that was wo- all wood fired Ooh. from the leftover of the furniture. And so the, there was this huge like cauldron that they would feed. There was a restaurant that built out these wood cauldron stoves and they'd feed in the leftover wood from the furniture and then make these kind of pancakes on the side. It's hard to explain. Or like a it. pizza oven type thing. Yeah. 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 Well, that's a whole new cuisine coming as a byproduct of this of this industry. Exactly. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Much more appetizing than that duck snack that they were making. I'm not sure you I know, <laughs> Not sure I, I fancy ate- that. I ate in that cafeteria that day and to the boss, I was joking. I was like, so what's for lunch? Is it duck? And he looked at me like, obviously. And um, it it was the duck snacks and it was great actually. Yeah. I will say though, my camera, uh, it smelled like that duck grease for months afterwards. I don't know how that the smell of duck fat can get into gear, but um, (laughs) my camera smelled like, yeah, like I had been inside of a duck for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> we all know what it's like to be inside a duck, and we, we, we've, exactly. all, we've all been there. And Ascension by Jessica Kingdon is on release in UK cinemas from January the 14th. Another film recommendation for you now, before we get to Andrea Arnold. It's a war tale. Munich, The Edge of War, coming to Netflix on January the 21st and set in 1938 as Jeremy Irons' Neville Chamberlain goes to meet Hitler to try and appease him and get a piece of paper that promises the German won't invade. Well, that went well. (laughs) Based on a book by the always gripping Robert Harris, this rather surprised me, this film. I liked it, as it showed us two high-up young civil servants, the English one played by George Mackay, who's a trusted Chamberlain secretary, and his old Oxford chum, a German who's now close to Hitler, and played by Janis Niewohner. It's a film about power and history, and directed by a German, Christian Schwalchow, and featuring a very chilling Hitler, played by Ulrich Matisse. But it's also got the excellent Sandra Hüller from Tony Erdmann, and a network of spies and protocols that close in on us as viewers. I know we're still obsessed with World War II, but I hadn't seen this story before, and although I'm always nervous about showing both sides and the evidence of good Nazis, I thought this did it rather well and conveyed much of the threat and the confusion, the moral and political panic that was going on at the time. I believe the name Paul von Hartmann is known to you. Yes, sir. We were at Oxford together. He has a document in his possession. We'd like you to go to Munich tomorrow 
and get the document. It'll be an act of espionage on foreign soil. And so now to my main guest, Andrea Arnold, the three-time winner of the Cannes Jury Prize for her films Red Road, Fish Tank and American Honey. She's such a distinctive and strong voice in British film and is now turning to her first documentary, which traces the short, brutish life of a dairy cow called Luma as she's pumped and pummeled and carved and hooved on a Kentish farm. It's always a pleasure to talk to Andrea when I'm not joining her on a dance floor at a festival or awards bash, even if I couldn't sort it to get to see her face to face. So we began by discussing how, even if this is her first official documentary, the spirit of documentary style realism has been ever present in her fiction films. I mean, I, I feel like I've always embraced a sort of documentary, like you said, like a documentary element to my work. I'm always... I'm always, you know, I want life in my film, so I'm always looking for life. And sometimes life comes, you know, I feel like you, you can only make up so much in your head. And that and that when you when I whenever I've made a drama and I get out there and I see the locations and I see the actors, it all starts coming to life for me. And then and you know, and now here's a turtle in the road that we weren't expecting. Yeah. And I, I you know, I want to bring that in, like, oh, there's a turtle. A hedgehog. You've got a hedgehog. Or whatever, anything, you know, like I'm always whenever we're wherever we are, I'm always I'm always wanting to be like I'm always looking for the things that are around that are kind of bringing for me anyway, life. So I've always done that and, and embraced it and kind of almost like I always say to people that I almost like try to bring a bit of chaos into my drama. I don't, I'm not one of those filmmakers. I mean, when you go to film school, there's a lot of, oh, you know, you have to storyboard, you have to know everything you're doing. You need to be able to tell everyone what you need and want. And you do to a degree because you can't, there's nothing that you put in front of the camera that's not been asked by you. So you do need to kind of bring those elements together. But then what I like then is to kind of rip it up a little bit. And uh, if, you know, if a sort of herd of deer were to come through and we were doing a scene, I would let them, you know, I wouldn't go, oh no, don't put them in there, it ruins it. Like, I'd be like, wow, what a gift. Yeah. This is fantastic. So in a way, like doing, making the film about Luma just felt like, it didn't feel like a big leap or a different thing for me. Um, if anything, it was actually very peaceful because it's just a few of us doing it and there was less... Uh, less wrangling of you know <laughs> how were the how i know you did it over over like four years and kept coming back to different bits of luma and different sort of uh seasons and sort of mm. life, life events in the, in the life of the cow how, did, did the farm know what you were doing did the, did the people there know what you're doing because it, in in a sense there is some kind of criticism of the life there is a uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't it doesn't look like a, the most glamorous life, you know, for a cow. And and I think that 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 that's what we where our hearts go to her with this industrialized process that she goes through. How do the people on the farm feel like it? I think you know the people on the farm think when when they hear criticism of the way, if they hear any criticism of the way they're farming, I think they they think their senses. Well, you don't know what farming's about then, and I think that that's part of the disconnect between people who you know consumers and and the farming industry is that a lot of people a lot of people don't realize the reality of farming so we were very clear with them what we wanted to do to film one animal we took the film to show them afterwards so they would see it i didn't know what they were going to think of it i was very up for any 
awkward conversations. I thought, well, these conversations need to be, you know, I want them. I want to have those conversations with them. If they're going to feel uncomfortable or anything, they're not happy. I want to have those conversations with them. But actually, we never did have any awkward conversations. Well, they they look like very humane and very good and very professional farmers you know there's no there's no yeah. there's no mistreatment of of the cow or, or not out of the ordinary other than other than what we've done over the centuries to to, to yeah. get this process going well i think we've all grown up i mean we all you know all of us that live in cities are very disconnected from nature you know before farming we used to live alongside animals and we would maybe use them eat them uh hunt them but we did them. We did it alongside them, so we were living with them. So we were probably more in tune with them, and we had their companionship and understood them and saw them. Whereas now we don't have any. You know, we have we have pets, but we don't have any relationship with animals. And we we but yet, but we're surrounded by images of animals. So you know, you get fluffy animals when you're a kid. You get storybooks. You get you know, you get like cows on your pajamas. You get cow egg cups, and you get like fluffy, cozy quaint romantic we get old mcdonald images. images you know we get the, you the get you do yeah. but, but that's actually not the the reality so i tried to bring a sort of you know i tried to bring a gentle reality because there are things that you could do in that industry um or in any of the farming industries actually that would be way more extreme are you um are you vegan are you is that your, your... i never talk about it because um i want i want the film the film is an invitation to show you something that perhaps you didn't think about. So I feel like if I talk about that, then it kind of, you know, it lands things too much. Yeah. And I, better, I, I really want people just to kind of have yeah, their I, own. I don't, I'm, it, it wasn't a leading question. It was just, uh, I, I, nor does one have to be vegan in, to understand connectivity and connectedness. You know, I'm, I, I, I still get it. I'm probably not going to eat a hamburger after your after your film but you know i probably might have some chicken so you know and that's we know that's an industrialized well, i'm going to make a film called chicken now yeah you've got to do them all <laughs> well there's a lot but of them you have 90 days i could do it quite quick yeah exactly that'll get you done but there was a lamb and there's pig and there's cow there's quite yeah. a lot quite a lot of it about them i spoke to numi repace the other day and she'd done lamb and she was like yeah something... yeah that's right i've seen i've seen lamb something, yeah something's going on there with with man or woman and their and and the sort of relationship well i think i think i think our relationship with those animals are coming more into our horizons i think because 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 we're all in the place now of having to kind of think about what is our relationship with nature because you know ca- capitalism and con- you know as consumers mostly we consume without really thinking about our relationship with with nature and i think that's becoming important we can't live like that anymore we have to think about our relationship with nature yeah and that becoming very much something that we're all having to face so um i think that so it's in the zeitgeist i think it's one of those things that's just coming up because it it just has to did you watch any films for research on cow are there any other no, I I didn't. Although i've heard lots of i've heard about like i i know there's a, a gunter i've heard about that but i haven't watched it i didn't watch it i never i'm not somebody who um when i make something i don't go and look at films for my own so i don't i don't go and look at other films to think oh i'm gonna make a film like that or that's going to i'm more likely to um read or look at photographs or like poems or something you know so where where, where were the inspirations then for cow Oh, 
Well, it's, I mean, nothing much just, I mean, there were plenty of books that I kind of picked up about animal consciousness and things like that. But but recently I was reading about a poet called John O'Donoghue, who's an Irish poet. And I highly recommend him for anyone who's needing some comfort. He's a very comforting poet. And he's a philosopher as well, so he writes very beautifully about things. And he he writes about the wild, invisible beauty. And I think that that's what I try to see in Luma, is her wild, invisible beauty. I think you try and see it in all your characters, to be honest with you. If I think, <laughs> if I even go back to Red well, that's Rose. So nice. That's so nice of you to say. Yes, looking for the wild. Well, I, so I read him after I made Cal, and I thought, oh, that's really what I was trying to do, like find her wild, invisible beauty, which I think he's talking about the soul, I think. Yeah. Do you think so, that's some, is that something that cinema can do in the future? I don't, when, when I, I, you know, I do watch telly, not that much, but it never feels a very soulful experience to me. And that's one thing that cinema does do is be transcendental and a bit more soulful than telly can manage. I think it can be, can't it? I mean, I mean not in, you know, not in sort yeah. of blockbuster territory of that often, but. I think we can aspire to that, whether or not you reach it or not. You can't. <laughs> well, you know, well, Bresson did the, you know, oh, had a Balthazar with a donkey. That, that, that's yeah, that I, I I've never seen that either, even though I've obviously heard about it loads because I, I, I don't, I sort of tend to stay away from the things that might be similar because I think I don't want to well, be. You can watch it now. You've done it. Yeah, no, I could watch it now. It's true. And somebody else mentioned it to me the other day. And I thought, I must watch that film now. I must watch uh, there's it. There's another French guy. What's his name? Damien Du... I can't remember his name. He, he makes, makes films on a farm. Very sort of spiritual. Mm. I think he has his own farm. I think he, instead of starting up an actor's studio, he bought a farm and started filming yeah. his animal. Damien Odoul, I think his name is. Okay. Uh, you you yeah. can watch all of them now. Uh, <laughs> what, what are you watching? What, have you seen any good films lately, Andrea? Well, you know what I saw that I loved was The Wailing, the Korean film. Have oh, you seen I, it? No, I haven't seen that. Oh my God, it's fantastic. It's it's one of those films that you I didn't I hadn't heard of, and I don't know why I haven't heard of it, because it's absolutely fantastic. Well, same here now. Well, it's good. I recommend it. And actually, I think it's really good to watch films without um, knowing too much. And I didn't know much about it. And I watched it, and I just love it. It's one of those films that unravels and just gets more and more, like, fantastic. The wailing but, as in... Not as yeah, in, wailing. Not the a, wailing. Not a hunting yeah, Moby Dick. Fantastic. Thing. It's Korean horror, sort of horror magical mm. film. It's a, a stranger arrives in this small town, and then all these weird things start happening, and this sort of detective has to go and figure it out. And it's just about him doing that, plus all the things that are going on, and it's just how that unravels. And it is just. It was just one of the best films I've seen in a long time. Wow, good it. shout. I haven't heard of it at all. Yes, well, then I highly recommend it. And it's, it's one of those things that you, it's good not to know more. I think just go watch it. And yeah. you, I'd be curious to hear what you think. <laughs> I'd be curious to find the uh, thing. <laughs> yeah. That. So that's, you've seen that. And what about like, anything, anything, like, have you had, have you been to the cinema for fun? Uh, I haven't actually been to the cinema like a proper person. I've been, I was on the jury, you know, like having gone since, I, went, I was on the jury at Cannes, so I saw loads of films. You were in the Uncertain yeah. Regard jury. You were the president, but whatever it's called, yeah, Madame the President. Regard, yeah, Chairman. so I saw an awful lot of films, and we gave Unclenching the Fists, like the our, our prize, our main prize, and which I really loved, mm. uh, which is Kira Kovalenka. And I was also on the jury at IDFA, which is the documentary film festival, recently. So I saw an awful lot of films there too. Saw lots there. So I've actually seen loads and loads of films. Yeah. Uh, but all, at, all, you know, all with the jury, which I love. I sort of love the jury experience because you get to watch 
a load of films with a bunch of really great people. They give you like nice food yeah. and you sit and can talk about the films. And it's just such a nice experience. It's such a, I always, I always feel a bit mixed about prizes and things because like, it's all just depending on the jury and their particular taste, isn't it? And, you know, and, and I always, I always feel like, how can you judge any kind of, you know, anything? But when you, when you debate it, when you kind of see things from a different perspective or learn things from different points of view, that's, that's what's exciting about juries. Yeah. And then when everyone uh, well, does what you know, A prize can really help a film. It can really help a film. You've won prizes. Yeah, and they've really helped, you know, it's really helps to get something because it, it kind of gives you some, you know, and it, if you're trying to get money to make something and, and people are like, oh, do we give that person some money, you know, lots of money, a prize helps you helps them decide to give you the money. Well, you won, didn't you win two, <laughs> two can jury prizes? Three, I've got three. Three, sorry, excuse me. I've got, I'm, I've got a record for three. The three, three without like the made, the, the, so it's three grand jury prizes or whatever. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, it's three jury prizes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah three jury prizes. Again. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is a record. I don't think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think anyway, we, I'm delighted. I mean, to I get any prizes. Yeah, I'm, I'm delighted for you. What's the, yeah. <laughs> what's the first film you ever saw at the cinema? Oh God, Mary Poppins. <laughs> Where was that? Oh, Mary Poppins. My grand took me and I was, I was very small and actually, I think it was the first film, and I don't think I don't think television was much around then, or we didn't have one anyway. And so it was kind of like a massive experience. Like, it, I found it actually devastating, like really devastating. Like I was really like I think I think it took me quite a long time to get over it because it was so I loved it so much, and I was very distressed that I couldn't actually be in the film. Like. I wanted to live in the film. To be in the world of the film. I wanted yeah. to be in that world. And and I don't think I quite understood I couldn't be. So I cried like every day, like wanting to be. So the dinner ladies at school go, Andrea, what's that? And I go, I want to be one of Mary Poppins' children. <laughs> <laughs> so it was devastating. And I used to dream about it. So I dreamt about it and I would... And when I woke up, I would try and get back in the dream. Like, I would try to go back to sleep so I could be back in the dream and be in the film. So I think I found it really um, overwhelming, actually, because it was such an amazing world. Yeah. And I wanted, I mean, you know, I wanted to be in it. I wanted to be in that world. I wanted to go up the chimney steps. And I mean, it was an amazing experience, really. And it, and it had quite a huge impact on me. Well, clearly, now you are in that world or you make your own, yeah, you make your own world. world. <laughs> no, well I was, you decided to do that genre. I don't mind you could have had you could have had Michael Fassbender up on the roof doing a yes. chimney. <laughs> you didn't do it. Yeah. I still I mean I still like I haven't seen it for a long long time, but I couldn't watch the new one because I was a bit worried it would like unsettle my old, you know, version of it. Yeah. It's not the same. Although it's but when, quite, when I'm sad I still sing um when I'm sad, I sing Jolly Holiday, and it makes me cry. Oh, oh, I, I, I feel like I feel like giving you a cuddle. <laughs> <laughs> I know all the parts, you know, Bert. You're doing both. <laughs> I can do both. I do both a Bert and Mary. What what an amazing world! I yeah. mean, fantastic world. I did a glorious die, right as a morning in my. I feel. Like I could fly. Now, Bert, none of your larking about. Have you ever seen the grass so green or a bluer sky? Oh, it's a jolly holiday with Mary. 
Mary makes your heart so light. You haven't changed a bit, have you? When the day is grey and ordinary, Mary makes the sun shine bright. Oh, honestly. What's the film? I mean, that sounds pretty formative, but what's the film that changed your life? I mean, either from watching it like that or from yeah. working on or being in? Um, well, every film I make changes my life. I mean, every film I make is a massive, um, a massive endeavour. And I usually, they're huge period, they're like huge, like I learn a great deal about myself every time I make a film. So I would say every single film I make changes my And sometimes I start even just like with an image and then, and then it's a three-year journey. So I have an image and I think, oh, what is this? And then I'm on a three-year journey. And then what is that all about? So that's... So every single film I've made has changed my life. Usually what happens is I start figuring things out, usually towards the end or maybe before, but the things start to kind of fall into place. And then by the end, um, when I'm letting it go, which is usually in the sound mix, I'm always like, I get really upset, like mm. to let it go, like to let this experience go and to, to sort of say goodbye to it because it's been like part of your life. So... And yet you uh, do that quite often. I mean, you know, people, some people will remember you from the telly, from, you know, being a TV presenter. So you, yeah. you literally, you change your life quite often, Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> I had a friend said you're like the Barbie dolls, you know, like Barbie does, Barbie does TV presenting, Barbie does film directing, <laughs> yeah, Barbie got... and works in Glasgow on adventure play parks. Yeah, you've got a few hats and boots and outfits is that, that I'll, I'll I can attest to that <laughs> well I'm a I feel like I'm a bit of a method director so you know when I um get involved in the world of whatever I'm doing I kind of get involved so yeah well I can yeah. Say, we, when we, I was doing Wuthering Heights I started wearing long dresses I thought what are you doing like what are you doing? <laughs> like I wanted to float around them you know I start to feel like I want to float around the moors so I start wearing, I thought, what are you, what are you, what, what are you doing? I, like, I do it even without thinking, like, and then in American Honey, I start, like wearing cowboy hats and, but you actually needed a cowboy hat in America because it's so hot and you do really need some shelter. You yeah. Know, from the so that's my excuse. <laughs> What's your favourite film location? Either that you've seen in films or that you've shot in, because you, you've just mentioned a couple. Well, there. there's no, I mean, the thing is seeing something is never nearly as as intense as actually being in it and I've I really love my locations in all my films so I would say that all my locations have become like characters so when I get when I do a film I get very wrapped up in the location I go there a lot I go there on my own a lot and I kind of hang out and become like um involved in the location and sort of get to know it and so I think all of them I've really enjoyed and got to know if I had to pick one I would say Glasgow um, I just love Glasgow. As a, as a city or in particular Red Road and that estate? Red Road flats are gone now because they, yeah. they, they knocked them down. Um, I went up there, Kate Dickey and I went up there after they knocked them down just to kind of pay our respects to those flats and to say goodbye. Did you know they were knocking them down when you were making it? No, they no. weren't. They weren't knocking them down when we were making it. And then what we, we in later years, we found out that was happening. And I went up to Glasgow to meet Kate and we went over there when they knock them down. So it makes your film more of a monument in a way. I, I guess it will be now. But they seem to knock, every time I film anywhere, they seem to knock it down after. <laughs> they knock down the flats in Fish Tank as well. Well, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe. Yeah, you <laughs> you're, want to watch you're not coming come, round here. <laughs> if I come knocking on your, you know, your mansion house 
and I say, can I film there? You probably should say no, because <laughs> no. I might come and knock it down. We, we need it. We, we <laughs> want to stay. It was really interesting talking to you about cinema and, and through the documentary there, and then we get, got somewhere with the sort of transcendental nature of it. You're going to keep making f- cinema. Um, I know you, I, you I, still, I still really believe in it. I believe in it as an experience. Because believe... you did make some telly. You did do some telly. Yeah, t- yeah, I do. It's, it's a very different medium, I think. Um, I mean, obviously, you're dealing in story and emotions and all those things but um it's it, it is more about what people say and uh less about the image and um cinema for me is about the images and yeah. about the unsaid actually and did you, about, you it's about giving room for the audience to have some emotional response to what they're seeing and do you think our european friends are feeling the same same way if we've taken cow around around europe I mean, I, whenever I go around and I go to these, the festivals and things, I would say there's still very passionate cinema audience, actually. Yeah. Well, you're one of our directors that Europe seems to take to quite quite easy, quite readily. Yeah. May, may, yeah, I, I've heard that. My, <laughs> my friend was saying she just come back from Poland, and, but uh, they, you know, I was, anyway, I, I hate talking about these things. I don't like to sort of... No, I, I just wondered if you knew why that was. If you know, you were just like, oh, well, that's great because I, you know, grew up. In no, Miami. I mean, I do, but it is. It does seem to be the thing. Uh, yeah, that I do. Like, you know, I uh, European fest. I get, I get, I go to a lot of European festivals, and I get, you know, um, a lot of, you know, response. So yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, sometimes I'm making films about the UK that perhaps the UK doesn't really want to. Yeah. See. I always, whenever I'm in these European festivals and an Andrea Arnold film comes on, I think, great. And it always just makes me think, oh, that feels like home. Whenever I see yours, I go, oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> it's home because it's the A12 or something like that. You don't have to go and see my films, though, abroad, because you could just see them here. I could, but, you know, it's about getting out and moving. <laughs> well, like we're, we're all about getting out these days, oh, aren't we? Oh, blimey. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, you know, normally we like a dance, don't we? At the end of it all, we do deserve one. Andrew, it's been brilliant seeing you. And, well, I'm not seeing you as face to face as I'd like to, but um, I have seen you recently, so that's all right. At least we can yes, do that. On the dance floor. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations on Cow. I do wish you the best of luck with it. And I do wish that, you know, because I do think it's so unique in the current landscape. There's, not, there's really not much stuff out there like that and that experience. And I really, I've really enjoyed, I've really enjoyed like, spending the time with, with Luma the Cow. Actually. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed Luma. Yeah, I thought yeah. she was lovely. Yeah, good. I and think she's lovely too. Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't ever never thought cows were a particularly attractive sort of face. Oh, she's beautiful. They? She's truly beautiful. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, lots to think about in cow. And um, yeah. uh, thank you very much for joining me on the show. Yeah, happy new year. You too. Bye. Bye. And Cow is in UK cinemas now. You can read more about it in my piece in the New European newspaper. It's bold, it's challenging, immersive, thought-provoking cinema. A real one-off, I'd say, but with all of Andrea's usual cocktail of mischief, wit and beauty. And Cow will, of course, be streaming on Mooby soon. Had to be, really. Okay, that wraps it up for this show. There'll be a few more hot doc contenders we'll feature, I'm sure, over this awards season, such as Flea and the real Charlie Chaplin. My thanks to Jessica Kingdon and to Andrea Arnold and to my editor, Kate Dawkins, for piecing it all together. But let's go out. We can't go out without paying tribute 
to the great Sidney Poitier who died last weekend. If you want to hear more of my homage to him, you can catch my Totally Wired radio show where I play a lot of music associated with his great performances. All of his dignity and defiant anger and his smooth, stylish, elegant thunder. There's music from In the Heat of the Night, from his exploitation film Let's Do It Again. And there's a trio of jazz tunes inspired by Sydney's films Paris Blues, Cry the Beloved Country, which became Lost in the Stars, and Porgy and Bess. And then, of course, there's this one from his 1967 film here in the UK, the role that made many British girls fall in love with their first black heartthrob. It's Lulu singing the sentiment for us all to Sir with love. See ya. It is- 